We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Urban Dictionary defines tsunami as one of the ocean's deadliest and flashiest weapons in its continuing war on humanity. It also defines poppy as simply meaning daddy. Spanish speakers use this term also for their boyfriends, husbands, dads, and even children. So now that we got that out of the way, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who purchased a shirt from us on the timeline, either the Rick and Monty shirt or the hashtag shh shirt. With Kelly Oubre on it, if you'd like to buy those shirts, go to designtree.com slash bluewiremedia, dsgntree.com slash bluewiremedia, and check out all of the shirts that we have there. I want to give a shout out to our sponsors this week, Indochino, Harry's Razors, and ShipStation. If you're going to wear a suit, you want to wear a suit that fits. Nothing looks worse than a suit that fits you badly. You see it in the draft all the time. NBA players wear custom-made suits. That's not exclusive to NBA players anymore. You can get custom-made suits for you at a reasonable price from Indochino. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more. And everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. Choose your fabric, pick your customizations, submit your measurements. It's all sent to you pretty quickly, too. And right now, you can get $30 off your total purchase of $3.99 or more at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Get a new suit. Surprise your family when you go home for Christmas. Shipping is free. That's Indochino.com. Promo code BLUEWIRE for $30 off your total purchase of $3.99 or more. An incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. Let's go. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Frank missed it, but got his own miss back. Oubre! Zone, that's a five-point possession.
Welcome to the Timeline, a Phoenix Suns podcast. I was just hit by a wave, Sam. I was just hit by a wave. <laughs> what an insane, bizarre, and incredibly frustrating game to watch. It's like all the highs and the lows and then the highs. A very much roller coaster game. Sam and I are recording right after the Charlotte weird, bizarre game that just, just ended about an hour ago. And we're going to, of course, recap that. We'll talk about the games coming up the rest of the week. We'll talk about the bizarre last week that we had before that Charlotte game. Uh, but welcome to the podcast. Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, uh, Mike. I was stranded off the side of the road in yeah. a snowstorm yesterday. Um, I made it back now. All set to go. Uh, got to watch this game. It was uh, an interesting game until the last minute. Kelly Oubre saved us. And you know what, man? The NBA is funny. Yeah. Like, think about if the Suns had somehow coupled the offensive performance that they had in either of their other two games this week against Washington or Dallas with the defensive performance they gave us in the first half tonight against Charlotte. Right. They could have stopped the Hornets in this game, and they were stomping them by 20 points at halftime. It could have been a 30-point blowout. (laughs) And instead... You know, this team hasn't been able to find the consistency, but Kelly Oubre saved them in the end, and lo and behold, we have a win. Yeah, I I will say Charlotte gifted the Suns a lot of the steals that they had uh, in that first half. They look like zombies playing out there. They had no focus, weird lackadaisical energy, and the Suns, to their credit, capitalized on that, but I don't don't see that as like some, obviously the second half, uh, proved this, but I didn't see that as some sort of turning point for the defense getting better, uh, especially without Aaron Baines, who was out not because of his weird rib contusion or whatever that was, but some sort of new calf injury, apparently, that Aaron Baines has. Uh, he was out again. Uh, and, you know, it was a bizarre game. Obviously, you talked about it. The first half defense was uh, on top of it. The <laughs> Uh, the Suns were up by 20 at halftime for those who missed it and then ended up winning by seven, but I think it was seven, but it didn't feel like seven. I, I can tell you that much. Uh, thanks to the heroics of Kelly Oubre, who has been really, really good lately. He's been really, really good lately. Um, I, I just want to quickly say about the defense. Uh, I looked it up at, at the end of the first half, the Suns had 12 steals mm-hmm. and I was looking up to see what their uh, all time high was for steals in a game. And it turns out that's 22. Like they had so many steals. They were playing the deflections, playing the passing lanes so well that I was thinking it was going to be a franchise best game. Yeah. They finished the game with 12 steals. So 12 <laughs> in the first half. Zero in the second half kind of points to the the dilemma we saw in the second half overall. There was a big effort problem for the Suns tonight. But obviously, again, Kelly Oubre is the one who saved them in the final minute. And uh, yeah, it, it hasn't just been tonight. I tweeted out also, like, you know, you could be kind of disappointed with the way the Suns are playing overall right now. Obviously, they're 3-7 and seven in their past 10 games. In each of their past three wins, Kelly Oubre has been a huge player. He had 30 points uh, a couple of weeks ago against the Hawks. And in that game, I think he was really the number one scoring option. Um, in the game against Minnesota, he had 25 points. He was the second option in that game because that was the game where Booker went off for the triple-double. But then in this one, he's the one who saved them again and had 23 points. And it was his late-game heroics, not Booker's, uh, that saved the Suns. Yeah, it's it's. we should talk about Booker at some point in this podcast just, just to hear how you feel about uh, this stretch with him. And, and I have some thoughts, of course, as well. But on, on Kelly Oubre, in the last five games... And in fact, let me actually stretch this back to the last six games because that's when I've noticed this change. Kelly Oubre has been slowing down a little bit offensively, which I think is is an especially interesting thing for him. He 
has found seams and cracks in the defense that he was not finding before. Uh, previously, he had the Josh Jackson syndrome where he would just sort of uh, crash into defenders at the rim and uh, it was all downhill once he was around his defender. Now what I've noticed him doing is something that Devin Booker's always been good at and something that we saw Ty Jerome, by the way, who came in this game, uh, immediately do a good job at, which is getting on the outside of the defender, so closer to the rim, and then using your hip on the defender and slowing down a little bit to find space within the defense. That can create cutting lanes for other players, but for Kelly Oubre specifically, it's the floater, it's the layup on the left side of the rim that it can create, and uh, he's not falling to the floor. And that slowing down, I think, has made a massive difference in his game, and if that's something that he can continue to develop, that's kind of the difference between, like, where he's at now and like a star player, especially if he continues to hit his threes. And for the last six games, this is what I wanted to talk about. 19.5 points per game, 43.8 field goal percentage, 38% from the three-point line and 84% from the free throw line. And that's with six rebounds, 1.7 assists, uh, 1.3 turnovers, and 1.5 steals. I I think the main goal with him is to keep the the steals above the turnovers. If he's not going to pass a lot, that's fine. It's kind of the role that he has in this game, as long as he continues to play defense well, which he has done. And I think it's sad because the Suns did not play well in those last six games, right? They were basically all bad games for the Suns. Pretty much. But he played well, and, it's, and it just kind of sucks to see those games wasted on... Uh, on, on these losses, but I mean, if you look at the roster, how, how do you feel about these losses? Because I think they're two and seven or something like that in the last nine games. Uh, yeah. how, how do you feel overall about these losses? Uh, well, I think it just speaks to how badly this team needs DeAndre Ayton back as they sort of slump through the final eight or so games without him. How badly they need Aaron Baines back. I think Aaron Baines, honestly, even Sheck Diallo, you tweeted this out, even Sheck Diallo <laughs> made a difference yeah. in this game. The Suns were out-rebounded 53 to 37 in this game and actually I was preparing like it was a laughable effort in the second half with some of the rebounds before Kelly saved the day with his late game heroics I was ready to get on his case because I remember two minutes to go Rubio cuts it down to a three-point game with a driving layup a reverse layup Ubre forces a miss on the other end but then gives up the offensive rebound to six foot one Devontae Graham and allows a second possession, and the Hornets bring it back to a five-point game. Like, that's the sort of stuff. And don't even get me started on Dario Saric and Frank Kaminsky in this game. So, you know, it, it's that was really rough. And and overall, the roster clearly just needs Baines, particularly because of the defensive scheme, I think. Like, you know, just Baines's ability to drop back and protect the rim, what the Suns have continued to do over the past... Uh, say two to three weeks or so is try all these switching maneuvers and hard hedges with Frank Kaminsky and Dario Sarge because those guys are kind of useless if you just keep them at the rim because they're not good rim protectors anyway Uh, but there just hasn't been any way for Monty Williams to put together a defensive scheme around those guys as his starting front court uh, that is in any way respectable and that's reflected in the fact that honestly the Suns have had some decent offensive games over the past couple of weeks they were a great offensive team against Washington. They were a pretty good offensive team against Dallas. Uh, but for the first time this season now, after that Dallas game, they slipped to uh, officially being below average uh, in the league in defensive rating. They are yeah. now kind of a bad defensive team overall right. because that's the impact of not having Aaron Baines. Yeah, it's the impact of not having Aaron Baines. And if you just look at the roster, and and, and it's I, I think it's fair to be disappointed by these losses. Every loss is a bit disappointing. But if you look at the roster and say you're you have a starting five that includes Devin Booker, Frank Kaminsky, and Dario Saric, what's going to be the problems with this team? 
it's going to be defense, right? You're, <laughs> yeah. you're going to you're going to identify that immediately. You don't have to understand who they're playing. You don't have to know anything else. But if you know those three guys are playing and they all give effort, you know, they all give effort. And this is why it's, I think, especially difficult to coach this team right now. I, when this game started, I, I found myself thinking this is the type of game that I would not want to be an NBA coach for. <laughs> it's just you're in such a difficult position. And, and luckily, it's against the Charlotte uh, Hornets and, and they were able to pull out a victory uh, thanks to Kelly Oubre. But there's not a lot that you can do. And I think it, it comes down to whether or not they're hitting three-pointers a lot of times because there's mm-hmm. absolutely no inside presence, especially against this team with Charlotte without Biombo in, uh, who is relatively good at protecting the rim. That inside area, that interior, that's soft defensively. And, and there could have been a lot of buckets in there. And that's why Kelly Oubre had an especially good uh, first half because that defense is just not really there. And with Baines in there, the advantage of Baines is not just that he has that inside presence. It's the size. He's a massive guy. He holds the ball up high. And I think something that's underrated for him is his hands. Uh, Both Frank Kaminsky and Dario Sarge, Frank's I think maybe a little bit better uh, at times. They don't have great hands, though. They're not like Aiton. They're not like Baines. Uh, Baines will catch it, keep the ball high above his head, and just dump it right in the basket, no problem, because nobody can can move him. Uh, without that sort of inside presence, you just rely so much on uh, on shooting. And I think that's another thing why it puts a lot of pressure on Devin Booker. He He's uh, being trapped a lot, obviously, not as much in this game mm-hmm. as previous games, but uh, still being trapped a lot, and he's forced to get rid of the ball, and he just refuses to force it. To, to some people... Some people are angry about this. I know you you tweeted about it a little bit. Uh, what do you think about Devin Booker's role in these losses? Do you think that he needs to just force his shot a little bit more? Do you think he needs to be more <laughs> aggressive? I, for, maybe forcing a shot is a ba- bad wording for it, but what do you think? No, but I know what you mean. There's nuance to it, and, and I think it's going to make me sound like a hypocrite a little bit because last week, didn't we have a discussion where I said... Uh, it's bullshit that Booker is being timid, that he's not being too timid, and that in that Minnesota game where he had like 35 points, this now it's coming back to me. I said that in that game against Minnesota where Booker had 35 points, Minnesota didn't trap him. And because they didn't trap him, it allowed Booker to finally do that and be aggressive like we hadn't seen him be uh, over the stretch of the past month or so. Um, and so that it wasn't his fault. Well, I, my opinion has changed a little bit <laughs> in the past week in the sense that in the last few games, I think other teams have similarly not trapped him all that much. And now he is being a little bit too timid. Like the, the Dallas game where Luka Doncic just absolutely outplayed him uh, from every aspect of the floor to this game where, again, we were heading into the third quarter, late third quarter, early fourth quarter, and Frank Kaminsky had more field goal attempts than Devin Booker. Dario Saric had more field goal attempts than Devin Booker, and that's just not acceptable. Um, so, yeah, no, I do think he could force it a little bit more. Look, if they're going to trap you, you have to trust your teammates. Very few players are capable of breaking out of a trap. Uh, so at a certain point, it's unreasonable to expect Devin to single-handedly carry the entire team on his back. Um, But there are possessions where they're not trapping him, and he continues to play as a system player within the flow of the offense. And I think at that point, if it's a four-point game and there's five minutes left in the fourth and your team needs you to make a comeback, he needs to start taking shots. Yeah, he's... um, I think you're right. And I think that this is a complicated conversation that cannot be had on Twitter (laughs) very well or on... Even Reddit is a little bit better because Reddit, you can write five paragraphs on it if you want. Uh, But... Twitter, it, it limits the conversation. I think it's easy to say, just shoot some damn shots, Devin Booker. What are you doing? You're supposed to be a superstar. 
Yeah. Just look at Chris Hansen's Twitter feed if, if you want to see some examples of that. Uh, but Love you, Chris. Yeah, he's great. And I, I think that he represents the frustration that a lot of Suns fans have. But if you really break down into that conversation, it, it would be stupid for him to shoot when he's trapped. It just would. I don't think people are criticizing that particularly. What I have found that is kind of frustrating is... There are times in transition where he's not fully attacking like he was last season, or there are times when he catches the ball and he is driving into traffic and not looking to get fouled, instead looking for a dump-off pass. What Devin Booker's not good at, which only one player on the team currently is, is jumping and finding a pass midair. <laughs> he should never do that. And I think that is part of what his his mindset is to, to, to get other people open with his gravity. It's, it's what his coach wants him to do. And it, overall, everything that they're doing is good for the overall success of the team. So I think there are times where he could be more aggressive. I just think that what people are sort of act, asking for a lot of times is a little unrealistic. And, I, and here's what I will say. Mm-hmm. Overall, this does not bother me much because I think that... It, we watched four years of Devin Booker being able to essentially take whatever shot he wanted whenever he wanted, and it was the best shot for the team. Yes, a Frank Kaminsky open three or a little rumble towards the basket is not the best option, but that Frank Kaminsky's position is not going to always be Frank Kaminsky. Soon, that'll be DeAndre Ayton. Soon, that will be Aaron Baines. So these habits that he's developing are going to be good for the team overall, and when there are better players on the team, they're not going to be able to trap him as much, and that will free him up to hit more shots. Maybe it would be fun to see him score 40 points, but maybe that would be 40 points in a loss like it was last year. I would rather him develop these good habits over time, as frustrating as it can be, and that will benefit him later when the team is filled out with better players. I, I just Overall, I have a hard time getting overly frustrated with this. I'm not, I wouldn't call myself overly frustrated. I agree with you. Um, I'm salivating at the thought of DeAndre Ayton rolling to the rim. Like he's, we know he's amazing at that. And Aaron Baines has been shooting 50% from deep this season. So if that continues, you know, he'll come back and he'll provide that spacing. You have Baines inside in his minutes, um, or sorry, you have Baines outside in his minutes and DeAndre Ayton inside. That's going to be very good for Booker. And I don't disagree. It's just a little puzzling when your star player is taking 13 shots in 34 minutes like he did against Denver or 16 shots in 38 minutes against Dallas. It's just a little bit off. And, and, you know, this isn't the only time that the Suns are going to be shorthanded. There are going to be times in the future where they struggle with injuries again while Devin Booker is still on the team. Um, So you still need to have that instinct in you. Uh, And I'm not talking about any sort of bullshit, you know, like clutch gene, like Kobe or or killer instinct (laughs) or whatever. But you need to have the instinct um, to know, recognize your role that you are the number one option down the stretch in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and that I think can be a little bit frustrating. And I think Kelly Oubre has benefited the most uh, off of that because of the gravity that Devin Booker does uh, attract. And that gets other guys open. And that's one of the reasons that Kelly Oubre has had a lot of amazing three-pointers at the end of the buzzer in the last few games. And, uh, you know, yeah, I just think balancing being like a system player who can uh, make the right play at every turn and finding times to take over uh, when when you need to take over, that's something that a player does ultimately in his prime. And I, I have I personally have faith that Devin Booker will find that balance 
And I think right now, if his focus is being that system guy, it's just, I think that's going to be good for his long-term um, stability and the long-term stability of this franchise in general. I do want to say, I found myself thinking about Robert Sarver in this bad stretch of games for the Phoenix Suns. And the reason is, we talked about Sam, I'm sure you remember at the beginning of the season, we did our five biggest questions, each of us, for the Phoenix Suns for the 2019-20 season. One of my top questions was, how many wins does Robert Sarver think the Phoenix Suns can win in this season? And the reason it was a big question for me was, what will he do if the Suns struggle? Or what will he do if they look good, but maybe not super good, (laughs) right before the trade deadline? And uh, I found myself thinking about him when they were struggling because the struggling right now, it just makes sense. The The amount of injuries that they're having, the DeAndre Ayton thing is incredibly frustrating. And, and I'm sort of glad we haven't heard anything from Robert Sarver about DeAndre Ayton, by the way, because I can't imagine what he could say that would make anything better. But what a bad owner would do in a stretch like this when the team wins at the beginning of the season and then kind of gets their shit kicked in a little bit uh, later in the season is say something, <laughs> anything really, right? Because an owner can say, oh, we'll fix this. Don't worry, we'll figure this out and then put pressure on the coach and put awkward pressure on the players. What a good, good owner will do in a situation like this where a team is struggling but they had a good consistent beginning is wait it out, just kind of quietly wait it out and see how they react and how things change. The 82-game season is long and sometimes it feels like every week it's a different team that you and I are talking about here. And I think it's important for an owner who is trying to have a good team to shut the hell up in a time like this. And so far, so good for Robert Sarver. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just a little worried about him opening his mouth at any point if they continue to struggle. Well, look, we're basically a quarter of the way into the season now, and the Suns are basically 500, and we expect them, I think, realistically to be at 500 or a little over 500 when they get their second best player back. Um, but anytime this happens when a team grossly overperforms expectations, uh, there's the rising of expectations and that happens with the fan base. It can happen with the owner as well. And it's something that Suns fans, if we're not going to have short memories should remember all too well in 2013, 2014, what happened with uh, Ryan McDonough in his first year as GM when the Suns won 48 games and the impact that had on the strategy that that management uh, team took for the next several years, because we were tricked for a team that likely should have been rebuilding, for a team that probably shouldn't have bought into this idea of, you know, Gerald Green being a sustainable guy and, and Miles Plumley being a sustainable guy. I'm talking about guys back from five years ago, guys who were going to regress the year after they had uh, amazing campaigns. Um, what that team probably should have done in hindsight is recognize that they were still very young, still rebuilding and taking their time with it. Instead, what happened is a series of mishaps from Ryan McDonough, uh, going out and getting Isaiah Thomas, going out and getting Tyson Chandler, trying to bring in LaMarcus Aldridge to that team that sort of in a backwards way led to the destruction of that team and brought us to what we have today. What you wonder, and honestly, I'm not sure if this is a conversation we've ever had to what extent. It was actually Ryan McDonough, as easy of a scapegoat as he is, who was behind all of that. Or to what extent it was pressure placed onto Ryan McDonough by Robert Sarver that, hey, I know you thought this was going to be a tanking team back in 2013, but we're actually good now. So we have to push, push, push for the playoffs when we're not really ready for it. And I'm not saying that I have any inside info. I honestly don't know if any of that is true. But if it is true... 
Has Robert Sarver learned from that experience again now that he has a new management team with James Jones and a new young core? Uh, Or is he going to do the same thing and potentially place really hefty expectations on a team that's still full of kids? Yeah. Yeah, there was a lineup tonight that every single player on the floor, I think, was under 24. Uh, and, and, you know, and they looked okay. Like, they, they looked relatively good. And I think what I'm sort of fascinated with is, uh, you know, the Ryan McDonough thing that you, you mentioned there, just to quickly touch on that. Well, obviously, we'll never know. And I, I have a feeling it was a combination of both. I don't think that it was unreasonable to look at a 48-win team with Eric Bledsoe, Goran Dragic entering their primes and say, maybe we should try to win. I don't think that's unreasonable. I think a lot of the decisions they made to try and build that winner were unreasonable. And I think a lot of that falls on Ryan McDonough. Uh, So, you know, the decision to maybe try to win at that point wasn't insane to me, I guess is is a good way to put it. But, you know, Isaiah Thomas was (laughs) in a way. Um, But beyond that, before the season started, Monty Williams was interviewing with the Suns. He was interviewing with the Lakers, and uh, he probably had other options as well. Uh, we don't really know. Those were those were the two teams that that were interviewing him. Uh, the interview process supposedly went well with the Suns. It went well with the Lakers, and then there was a report that uh, Robert Sarver was flying down to visit Monty Williams by himself. Then Monty Williams and Robert Sarver had a private conversation between the two of them. The next day, it was announced that Monty Williams was accepting the Phoenix Suns position. That conversation is, I think, one of the most important things to happen in the Suns franchise in a long time. Because I don't know what he said, but it was enough to convince Monty Williams to sign a five-year deal, which, as we've talked about, was the longest contract that Robert Sarver has ever given a head coach. I imagine it had a lot to do with, are you going to stay out of my way and are you going to give me time to develop these guys the way it takes? And... I hope that that's what that conversation was. And I hope that he actually holds him to that because there's no patience runs thin when a team loses five, six, seven, eight games in a row, if that were to happen. So I I don't know what that conversation was, but I find it to be fascinating. And I think about it whenever the Suns are going to struggle. And I have a feeling I'm going to be thinking about it for years whenever the Suns struggle. Patience, Patience runs thin when you lose three or four games in a row. Just think about the conversation we'd be having about tonight if the Suns had dropped this game like we all expected them to. <laughs> you know, right. the, the fan base would have been a mess. And the team still would have been 8-11, and 11, which, you know, compared to our expectations at the beginning of the season, wouldn't be that bad. But to your point, I think explicitly the conversation between Robert Sarver and Monty Williams probably was about that sort of stuff. It was about trust. Right. Implicitly, Monty took a five-year deal because that's five years worth of job security you know he's getting paid whether he gets fired or not so what are his true feelings of robert sarver i I have a feeling we know what those are (laughs) behind closed doors robert sarver doesn't want to give a five-year contract out either so so that conversation clearly went well on both sides of it so uh you know i wish that maybe someday like a few years from now if things continue to go well uh you know kevin pelton or somebody will write write a piece (laughs) about that conversation and how it affected the future of the Phoenix Suns. And speaking of Robert Sarver and not wanting to spend money, the Suns still have an open two-way contract spot, by the way. And with only one center on the roster, which is really maybe a power forward anyway, it sure would be nice to have somebody filling that role. So I, we don't have Absolutely. to linger on that. In fact, let, let's drink some milk. Ty Jerome. <laughs> we, we haven't even brought him up yet. Jeez. Ty Jerome made his NBA debut in this game today, in his first two minutes as an NBA player, he had three steals and two assists 
and he looked amazing right away. He just looks so confident. And you know what else having Ty Jerome back meant? No minutes at all for Tyler Johnson. No minutes at all. What mm-hmm. did you think of Ty Jerome? He was sexy. Uh, <laughs> he was suave. As, as poised a performance as you could ever expect from a rookie making their debut. Was just instantly slotted into that position. And was fluid in his movements. Um, and great passing, you know, the way he kind of lulled the defense to sleep on one possession uh, and was able to find Mikhail Bridges on the lob with that backdoor cut. Beautiful. That's, it's really the interesting thing about Ty Jerome because, you know, he comes from this program in Virginia, which is the slowest. I mean, people constantly criticize uh, just watching Virginia basketball games and how boring it is because they play at the slowest pace uh, in college basketball on D1 and they have for years and years now. And yet I just have, I look at him, sure, he's not the most athletic player, but I have no worries about him being able to handle himself in transition. But then you also know that he can go into a half-court set uh, and execute that set to the best of its ability. So he's just a very complete uh, offensive player. Um, and defensively, he looked sharp too. Now, he got three steals in like four minutes. Like you were saying at the beginning of the, um, the episode, maybe a couple of those steals were kind of gimmies, uh, and he just yeah. happened to be in the right place at the right time, but he still looked really good. Well, I think that uh, his size is... A, people will, will continue to underestimate his size, I think, because he's larger and taller than a lot of people think and, and looked relatively strong even because they were getting the switch on him a lot tonight, which is what you do, right, with a small rookie point guard. Try and get a big man on him and let him go go to work. And, um, you know, he was holding his own as, as well as he possibly could. The thing with Ty that I love, and I've loved it for, for a long time since watching him in college, is that he never looks like he's in a rush. And maybe that comes from Virginia, or maybe it just comes from his just command of a basketball team. He always looks like he's in control. He always looks uh, centered with his feet under him. And he makes smart reads. That's just what he does. He finds guys. There was a pass to... Uh, Javon Carter, who played today, by the way, uh, uh, now Javon yeah. Carter in, even is above Tyler Johnson in, in the rotation. Uh, but uh, he made this pass to to Javon in the corner, and it was interesting, particularly because they ran their first set and it completely broke down. They got it back up to Ty Jerome at the top of the key. He just called a spread pick and roll and just kind of slowly and methodically dribbled into the lane, faked the lob pass, and hit that skip pass to a guy in the corner which is a very hard pass to make. And Javon Carter, to his credit, made a difficult shot because it was contested with the shot clock running down. But he just looks so calm in those moments. And to have a rookie that can step in and do that right away is a luxury. And I think that he's going to earn more and more and more minutes uh, throughout his time playing. And, and, And we're very, very lucky that he's back. At the very least, he's entertaining to watch. Oh yeah, he's super entertaining to watch. It's it's kind of unfortunate that I don't know if he's really a better player than Tyler Johnson. I still have some faith in Tyler Johnson, the basketball player. Um, although I think Ty Jerome could earn all of those minutes, and maybe he will very soon. Um, but who's a more entertaining player to watch? I think it's definitely Ty Jerome. And we should talk about Tyler Johnson now and and what sort of impact this has on him because this is two games in a row. Monty has really done some interesting stuff with the point guard rotation. Yes. He didn't have Ty Jerome available to him last game against the Mavs, but he brought in Elia Kobo first off the bench and made Tyler Johnson his 11th man in that game. And then coming into this game, Elia Kobo didn't play. This time he decided to roll with Javon Carter, I guess, in those minutes. And then maybe he gave Tyler Johnson's minutes to Ty Jerome. Um, but, you know, now just with Rubio back, the Suns have four backup point guards, not to mention Jalen LeCue waiting in the wings in the G League. 
Um, and so Monty has to make these difficult decisions every night and someone always gets left out. Yeah, I wish that we could know what is motivating those decisions. And, I, you know, I have trouble criticizing any of them because these guys are so close uh, in skill sets that, you know, I, I don't find... I think that Ty Jerome can play himself into that like clear backup point guard role or guard role uh, if he continues to play as well as I believe that he can. Uh, but beyond that, like the the rest of the guys, they all have their their goods and the bads. You know, you're going to get some good things, you're going to get some bad things. And I think maybe Devontae Graham was one of the reasons Javon Carter played today. And even if you mm-hmm. asked Monty Williams, he probably wouldn't really tell you because maybe it's just based no. on how he feels that day or how they practiced the day before. You know, there's a lot that goes into it, I would imagine. So we probably won't get a straight answer on that. By the way, uh, Dwayne Bacon <laughs> came in for Charlotte. As soon as he checked in, I thought, there's no way that Eddie Johnson is not going to make a joke about his name. And the first play that Dwayne Bacon had, Eddie Johnson made a pork chop joke. And I just love it. I just love it. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think quickly about? Because I saw some little debate on Twitter about this. Mm -hmm. Um, Eddie Johnson being so anti three pointer for the Suns tonight. Well, well, I mean, uh, a night like tonight, he's doing a victory lap. <laughs> on, on right, right of course, of course. I mean, look, the Suns were about to die by the three until Kelly Oubre saved them in the final minute. But Kelly Oubre saved them in the final minute with two threes. With two threes, exactly. But I, I, here's what I will say about it. It is a good idea to penetrate and get shots close to the basket. So saying that just sort of in a vacuum makes a lot of sense. I think with this team that's playing tonight, the team that we watched Maybe launching some threes is is a good game plan mathematically over time. It hurts to watch a team shoot the way they did tonight. Uh, But yeah, you know, this this Charlotte team wasn't exactly a defensive juggernaut near the rim. So I understand why he was talking about that tonight. There are times where he says it where I just kind of roll my eyes. But, you know, he's he's a guy who played in the NBA 20, 25 years ago. <laughs> so he comes from a different era and I understand why he says the things he does. And there's like, there's like two things that he hates, um, shooting too many threes and then catching the ball, checking your feet, backing up and shooting yes. a three. <laughs> yeah. And, and I understand that one particularly because what he's saying, there's like, you know, there's this people who understand the game, people who don't understand the game thing with, with basketball players. Kevin Durant uh, had his famous tweet about, I don't, I don't look at a spreadsheet to, to learn about basketball or whatever he said. And I think that's a rhythm thing. They're saying that this is a good shot because you're in rhythm. You're not overthinking it. And, uh, you know, he'll, his, his, his remark is always a made two is, is better than a missed three. Uh, but, I mean, cool. mathematically over time, uh, the math always proves right. <laughs> you know, taking yeah, more no, things is usually better. So, who, uh, <laughs> but I understand the, the f- rhythm thing. I I do get that. That I think that makes sense to me um, a lot of times. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, I don't know. What, when you talk about that KD conversation, which one are you referring to? Is it like the who it the fuck with, wants uh, to look at graphs? Yeah, and have yeah. a hoop convo or something. Yeah, with HD. was that? Yeah, with Matt Moore. Yeah, yeah that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's take let's take a break and uh, when we come back we still have a lot more to talk about actually uh we're gonna do our player of the week i have a surprise for sam he's gonna get to hear the song that we got from player of the week and we'll talk maybe a little bit about um trades so we'll be right back with the holiday rush here you have to be able to ship orders out quickly efficiently and affordably but how do you keep track of all those orders decide which shipping carrier to use or if you're getting the best rates. Luckily, ShipStation can help. 
With just a few clicks, you'll be managing orders, printing labels, and getting those products out the door and delivered in time for the holidays. ShipStation works best with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, and UPS, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice for online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Take the hassle out of the holiday shipping this year. Let ShipStation help you handle it all with ease. Just use our offer code BLUE to get a 60-day free trial. That's two months free of no-hassle, stress-free holiday shipping. Just visit ShipStation.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the page and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com. Enter the offer code BLUE. ShipStation. Make ship happen. Looking for a great gift for someone in your life? Razors is the best thing to do. You're not only giving them something they can use, you're taking a chore away from them. You're, you're allowing them to not have to go to Walgreens or CVS to purchase razors. Listeners of this show can get $5 off any Harry's shave set by heading to harrys.com slash bluewire. Free shipping is also included, and that offer ends December 16th, so act now. Now is the time to get your shopping done for the holidays. It's a great deal for you and whoever you're buying it for. Holiday sets start at just $20, so that's within Secret Santa limits, and Harry's Blade refills are as low as $2 each, so whoever you give it to will save money over time if they continue using it. It comes ready to gift in a handsome holiday gift box, and your gift gives back. 1% of each sale will be donated to a charitable organization. As a special offer for fans of this show, we've partnered with Harry to give you $5 off any shave set, including their limited edition holiday sets when you go to harrys.com slash bluewire, plus free shipping. Each Harry's shave set comes with a weighted handle with option to engrave, five blade razor cartridges, foaming shave gel for a rich lather, travel cover to protect your blades, packaged in a handsome holiday gift box. Free shipping ends December 16th, so act now. Just go to harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire. All right, last week we introduced a segment, a very original idea called Player of the Week. And in that segment, I let Sam know that I took our money our very little money that we earned from this podcast, and I sent it to a random person in Australia to write a song for this Player of the Week segment through a website called Fiverr. I got Thank that you song. to David Nash for writing a song for us. <laughs> I got that song back this morning. So um, thank you to Woo! the uh, postponing. Uh, and I'm, you know, postponing yeah. has always worked. Here's an advanced stat that I just made up. Every time that we... Uh, postpone an episode the suns win so maybe we should postpone <laughs> relatively regularly when the suns postpone play on a monday definitely <laughs> yeah just cancel the podcast and they'll be a champion uh but uh i got that song back today i've heard it personally uh sam has not heard it so i'm going to play the player of the week song for sam right now are you ready sam i am ready all right here we go who's it gonna be who's it gonna be Time to announce our number one superstar. You shine so bright, you'll go far. Cross your fingers, hold your breath. It might be you who could know. You'll find out on the this show. This is like not Who's bad. Who's it gonna be? 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 
is, Sam. What do you was think? That, was that honestly not bad? How much did you pay for that? Twelve dollars. Twelve dollars. Pretty yeah. fucking good for twelve dollars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's I'm not mad what's about the name? It. What's the name of our artist? Uh, so the name of the artist. It's actually two two women from Australia oh. named Jem J E M underscore official. If you want to get something from them on Fiverr, feel free to find them. Tell them that we sent you over there. And if you have a band or if you make music and you want to make a song to introduce the player of the week segment, feel free to cover this version of the song. Make your own version of the song. Just make it 30 seconds, around 30 seconds or so, and we can play it on a future episode. Why not? I I can guarantee we'll play it at least once. If it's really terrible, that might be the only time uh, that we play it. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to Jem for uh, making that Really cool song. I think they did a really great job, especially for uh, you know twelve dollars in eight days to do it. So, uh, shout out to Jim. All right, player of the week. Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? <laughs> um, uh, Sam, why don't you go first? <laughs> don't don't overdo it now. <laughs> uh, my player of the week. Well, it's not as fun now because we already talked about him. But Kelly Oubre. You want to just quickly rehash what we were saying before? Not rehash. It's just. So you were talking about it before. Over the last six games, he's averaging what, like nineteen points. Now, thank you. I yeah. was about to make up some stats that I <laughs> six as rebounds, if I was pretending. One point seven yeah. assists, one point five steals, uh, forty four, thirty eight, and eighty four percent shooting splits. Great, great performance. Nineteen point five points. Right. So two so two weeks in a row, I'm giving him Player of the Week. I feel like I can't justify giving it to Booker this week because of the conversation we had about him before. Um, but Kelly's just shown up, like I said, in, in all of the Suns' recent wins. And he's doing little things, too, that show that he's working on his game and, and is dedicated to his craft. Um, one thing that was crazy out of him tonight, honestly, was um, you saw that no-look pass he had to Dario Sarge yeah. in the yeah. first quarter. Yeah. In transition. Like, when Kelly Oubre, Kelly Oubre Jr. starts doing stuff like that, a no-look pass in transition, mm-hmm. uh, you know that this is guy who's working on the last couple of holes that his game really has. It prevents him from potentially reaching that all-star reserve-level status. Um, like, you know, at this point, averaging 20 points, six rebounds, two steals a game on pretty good efficiency, that's like... I mean, look, it's a Western Conference, so I don't I don't know if he realistically has any chance anytime soon, but... <laughs> It's like Jimmy Butler, Chris Middleton is. level in the Eastern Conference. Yeah. Um, so on a winning team, that's that's kind of an all-star level player. And, and there are other parts of his game, too. Like, he's driving right. More often, it used to be that he he's a le- guy who just loves to drive left um, whenever he goes towards the basket. And, and recently, I've seen him switch it up a little bit more. Um, I appreciate his ability to add that to his game as well. So I think he's just becoming a much more well-rounded player. Um, just because he made one no look pass doesn't mean I actually think he's going to become like a five (laughs) assists per game guy or anything, but you know, like we know what his limitations are. Um, but he had a really strong week, two weeks in a row and he gets my player of the week, two weeks in a row. Now serve me up some bullshit. (laughs) Wait, let me just say on Kelly Oubre, I found myself able to picture him being an all-star in the last like 10 games or so in a way that I haven't really been at all before. I just I just found myself going, oh, there is a, there's like a traje- trajectory for him becoming a really, really, really good wing player, uh, all-star level, maybe once or twice in his career level player, which is really good for the Suns, especially for what we got him for, which was, you know, six months of Trevor Ariza. I, I, I've been very impressed with him. And, and you're right. We can't expect him to all of a sudden become like a passing savant. But I think the development that's shown up in the last few games of slowing down a little bit on his drives 
open up those lanes a lot more. And if he can slow down enough to actually recognize those lanes, which I have seen him do, I've, I post just about every assist on Twitter that he actually gets. Uh, so obviously we're able to recognize that. But I found myself being able to picture it a lot better than I was in, in, in any other stretch of his career, uh, you know, including his last year with the Suns, which he had an excellent stretch when he started for the Suns. Uh, it just felt a little unsustainable, and now there's, it really doesn't. And I think a lot of it has to do is if he continues to at least be around 36 37% from that three-point line, that'll make a massive difference from him uh, for him going forward. But uh, my player of the week, uh, I went a little out of the box again, of course, which I'm probably going to do every episode uh, because it's just this is a segment that allows us an excuse to talk about whoever we want. So I, right. it, it would be a very boring segment if it was truly just who's the best yeah. Suns player of the week. So yeah. I'm gl- actually to be serious for a second. I am glad that you do this. Yeah. <laughs> well, this week I chose Lori Markkinen because this morning I was alerted uh, by social media to the way that Chicago Bulls fans currently feel about Laurie Markkinen. Laurie Markkinen is, he's in his third year uh, for the Chicago Bulls. He played at University of Arizona. This has nothing to do with how I feel about him for the record Um, (laughs) because I'm, you know, I'm more of an ASU guy anyway, but he is, he came in looking like a white Kevin Durant at first, right? (laughs) He's able to hit the three. He has ball handling skills at seven feet tall. And uh, he looks to be a guy that can create his own shot when things are going right for him. He shot 36% from three in his first and second year. He is down pretty significantly, 20-something percent from three. He's in a disaster situation. And I, and I really, really want to stress this. A disaster situation in Chicago. Uh, for those who have not been following the Chicago Bulls recently, Jim Boylan, who is a bizarre, bizarre guy uh, uh, who is the head coach of the Chicago Bulls currently, um, called out Zach Levine publicly after a game and just said that he wasn't very good. Zach Levine came back and had that insane 14 three-pointer game, including a steal and a three-pointer at the last second to win the game. As soon as the Bulls won, everyone was celebrating uh, on the Bulls bench, except every player was ignoring Jim Boylan. Jim Boylan was trying to shake hands with the players that he coaches after they won and they were giving him the cold shoulder. They were completely ignoring him. The type of dysfunction that we're seeing publicly out of the Chicago Bulls currently is unlike anything that I've seen in a long time. And I just want to point that out to say that Laurie Markkinen struggling right now is it makes sense to me. This is a guy from another country. He's he's the only Finnish player <laughs> in the NBA ever. Uh, and he's just in a disaster situation. And I think this there's a little bit of a fish out of water situation for him going here. And of all the players on the Bulls to struggle, I think it would make sense for Laurie Markkinen to struggle. Uh, he's never been like an ultra-aggressive guy. And mm-hmm. um, so I, I, I went on to a Bulls blog. And I looked at the type of trades that they are asking uh, for Laurie Markkinen. No, no, it's not what you expect, Sam. It's like a like a first round pick from the Bucks or something like you know like it's no like no way yeah they're asking no for way. late late first round they've given up on Lori Markkinen in a way that I did not expect and right it's a blog uh, you know it could be just anyone just writing it but uh, I found myself going well, Lori Markkinen available now uh, you got to consider that and what do you think 
Yeah, you have to do more than consider it. He was considered the Bulls' best prospect a year ago. Uh, this is a guy who averaged 19 points and 9 rebounds per game as a 21-year-old power forward last season. Um, and you're right, to, to, to put the stats to it, he's having a disastrous campaign. This is a guy who shot 37% on catch-and-shoot threes the past two seasons. He's shooting 29% on catch-and-shoot threes. Most of those are wide open this year, and he's just missing them. Laurie Markin in this season, he's already missed eight dunks. This yeah. season, you thought Josh Jackson was bad. Laurie Markkinen is shooting 64% on dunks. It's, you know, at the NBA level, it's hard to get worse than that. He's averaging 13 points and seven rebounds overall. Um, he's got an offensive rebounding percentage of 3.3%, which is lower than Kelly Oubre. It's lower than Cam Johnson. It's lower than Mikhail Bridges. A lot of the critiques about Laurie Markkinen are that he's similar in demeanor to, say, a guy like Dragon Bender. And I don't make that comparison because of the foreign white player connection, but it's just kind of the same weaknesses. He's not a guy who's going to bang in the post. He avoids contact. He's very much a finesse player. He's not going to be an elite rebounder. But like you said, he has the potential to be, if he gets his mojo back, an elite scorer um, who can score off the dribble in addition to being a spot-up guy, which is really kind of... The Suns, for the most part, have relegated um, Dario Saric to this role of being just a spot-up shooter. He does play in the post a little bit, but Laurie Markkinen is a guy who can put the ball on the floor a good deal more than Dario Saric. Like, Dario Saric, I get surprised if I see him put the ball on the floor more than a couple of times a game. Uh, Laurie is definitely a guy who can who can do that a lot more. Um, now, the thing is, if you'd make a trade for him um, and somehow don't give up Dario Saric in, in doing so, although uh, I, I guess that's something that we'll have to talk about in a second where we talk about trade proposals, um, Dario Saric right now is having a better season than Markkinen mm-hmm. by far. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if he plays anything like in Phoenix, like he is currently in Chicago, then you're getting a worse player and it's going to impact your win-loss record because he is a worse player. But if you buy into that potential of his performance the first two seasons, uh, he's he's definitely a guy, you know, I've talked before about the Suns have theoretically their number one in Devin Booker. They have their number two, supposedly, in DeAndre Ayton. Who's going to be that number three? We were thinking maybe it'd be Kelly Oubre, but Markinen is would be a, a strong bet, too, if you could somehow get him. If he can get back to shooting like people expect him to be able to shoot, it's a, just a great fit next to DeAndre Ayton. You know, uh, it just makes a lot of sense. And um and there's no way of knowing if that's going to happen. And to his credit, he was injured last season for, I believe, towards the end of the season. I don't have it up. Uh, so it's possible that this uh, is just some rust from coming back from injury and uh, he can shake it off and shoot a little bit better. But I, I just find myself thinking it's probably the way that a lot of GMs looked at the Suns for the last few years and said, is this player uh, actually bad or is this a situational thing where if they were in a better situation, could they be a better player? And it's interesting, I think, that it's flipped in such a way where I'm counting on the Suns being a better situation than the Bulls, but the Bulls have been such a disaster that um, right. I don't think that that's that crazy uh, of a concept at this point. Uh, you know, do you do you have faith that he, this is, I guess, the way to look at this in Monty Williams, in his own words, is this is more of a ceiling raiser than a floor raiser. It, you're raising the ceiling of the team rather than yes. raising the floor. Dario Saric is the floor raiser. Probably doesn't he's you know he doesn't have a star potential um, you know in any way, but Laurie Markkinen potentially could uh, unless you ask a Bulls fan right now. So um, do you have faith that it is more of that, or 
would it be worth the risk? Now, I haven't actually thought about any potential trade ideas here, and I have no idea what the Bulls would actually want or if they're even considering this, but I do find it interesting that it's been in the ether for the last few days. Yeah, so I think um, you can have, to answer your first question, you can have faith in Monty because if you look at what Laurie is good at, First of all, he's going to do the same thing in the Suns' offense that Dario does, which is be a spot-up shooter. And he's got more spacing, I think, on paper in the Suns' offense than Chicago does. Chicago runs out some weird lineups. They've got guys like Chris Dunn and Shaq. You know, I love Shaq Harrison. I don't, I don't <laughs> think I need to explain that anymore. I love Shaq Harrison. But they've got guys like Chris Dunn and Shaq Harrison, a point guard who can't shoot. A guy like uh, Wendell Carter at center who's still working on his shot as well. Kobe White hasn't found his stroke yet. They've got some shooters on that team, but they'd have more. Uh, if Lowry were to to come over to Phoenix. And beyond that, like I said, he's not a post-up player, but he is a good pick-and-roll finisher. He finished in the 74th percentile in efficiency, according to uh, Synergy, as a pick-and-roll uh, finisher last season. Uh, and that's something that I think, and that's with, first of all, Jim Boylan coaching about 60 of the Bulls games last year. Um, but also it's something that I think would only get better potentially with a point guard like Ricky Rubio and a secondary playmaker like Devin Booker uh, at the helm as well. So I think he could really potentially flourish in Monty's system. The second question, I don't remember the second question, were you asking about like actual trades? Yeah, I haven't thought of any examples, but it's just, it's just uh, one of the players I. to keep an eye on. Yeah, so I mean, look, he's making five and a half million dollars a year. So and he'll be a restricted the, free agent next year. So we'd be in a similar yes. situation as we are in currently with Dario Saric next year. The I think a big difference is um, that the amount of cap space that the Suns would have uh, after uh, 2021 is is a little bit different. The situation, it allows you a little bit more flexibility than if you lock someone down at what could potentially be an overpay because of the amount of free agents that are available in the 2020 years. So it's just, there's a lot of reasons to be interested by this, I guess, is what I'm saying. So he's making five and a half million right now. Unfortunately, what that means, if you're a Suns fan listening, the first guy you maybe throw out in trade proposals or have been throwing out is Tyler Johnson. Tyler Johnson makes $19 million a year. So you need the salaries to match and that's likely not going to work. Well, it's literally not going to work unless you could get the Bulls to throw in another salary. Um, they would have to throw in someone like Thad Young uh, to make salaries match there. And then I don't really know how you get the pieces there to work. So I think that's that not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, change. except then, you know, the Suns need to throw something back towards Chicago as well. You're not getting Thad Young and Laurie Markkinen for Tyler Johnson. That's <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. No, but, you'd, you would probably need Mikhail Bridges and the first round pick next year. Right. And, or or you need uh, to get a third team involved if you want to include Tyler Johnson. Now, if you don't want to include Tyler Johnson or, or assuming that Chicago doesn't want Tyler Johnson in the first place, what does a rebuilding team in the Eastern Conference want? Presumably they want draft picks. Um, they've got a prospect that they're banking on at point guard in Kobe White. They've got a prospect that they're banking on, if you can even call him a prospect at this point, in shooting guard at Zach Levine. And they've got a prospect they're banking on uh, at center in Wendell Carter Jr. That leaves small forward, which means Mikhail Bridges or Cam Johnson. Um, and power forward, which means Dario Saric. So I think if we're talking about building a package um, of guys who cost, you know, around 4 to $5 million for Laurie Markkinen, it's probably some combination of Mikhail, Cam Johnson, Saric, and Picks. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's where it becomes it a, a, a more difficult conversation unless they really like Dario Saric. And I, I do wonder, like, Dario Saric and how, how willing the Suns brass would be at including the 2021 pick uh, 
Um, I probably wouldn't include that in any trade. So that that's, I think, where it becomes really difficult. Or maybe you find a way to protect it uh, in the future, like a top 10 protected 2020, or sorry, 2020 pick, not 2021. Uh, maybe that's something that would get it done. Uh, but yeah, it's probably not going to, it's probably not going to happen without getting rid of a player that we really enjoy. And uh, I will say the Suns have three start potential starting caliber small forwards and how long can they sustain that (laughs) i think it's good to have that kind of depth in today's nba so i'm not mad about it but we'll see if that's something that they look to move in the future just to one the other sorry no it's it's fine uh just to illustrate the differences between dario and uh markinen i did look up a stat here that i want you to try and guess guess how many dunks Dario Saric has in the 2019-20 season. One? One. Hey. He has one dunk uh, in this season. Laurie Markkinen, for comparison's sake, uh, has 14. Uh, So it's it's a massive difference. And And he's missed eight. And he has missed eight. And that's an actual fact. You know, and and in previous seasons, um, he's completely trumped what Dario Saric does. They're just different types of players. Dario's not ultra athletic. I think Laurie uh, is. He's actually an insanely athletic guy. If you've never seen it, just look up Laurie Markin and dunk. The first one that comes up will blow your mind. I guarantee it. It's an insane dunk. Uh, so it's just it's just one of those guys that you have to keep an eye on uh, going forward. And if the Bulls actually make him available at the trade deadline, I think the Suns and other teams will have uh, some interesting decisions to make because uh, that's a guy that could end up being a lot better than whatever his value is right now due to some weird circumstances. Um, so that's my player of the week. you have any other thoughts on Laurie Markkinen? Well, I guess the other way we can frame this conversation is if Tyler Johnson has lost his minutes and we're discussing Laurie Markkinen because we want a power forward, right? Or we want another big. If there's something we're going to do with Tyler Johnson at the trade deadline, and, and I'm not fully in on trading him in the first place, but theoretically, if you want to upgrade this team, your other option is to look at the other power forwards whose salaries actually are kind of in the same tier as Tyler Johnson's, the types of guys that you could target uh, at the deadline. And if you pull up the names there, you've brought up Danilo Gallinari before. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not suggesting that any of these would be one-for-one trades. The Suns would probably have to throw other things in, uh, or maybe in some cases they wouldn't. But the types of guys you get for around that sort of money is Danilo Gallinari, Serge Ibaka, uh, Aaron Gordon, Derek Favors, Marvin Williams, who just lit up the Suns for 22 <laughs> points tonight off the bench, I think. Like, that's the sort of tier of power forwards we're talking about, which contains some good players, some in the short term, some in the long term, potentially. Um, but no one who's really better than Dario Saric long term, if you want to just lock him up and extend him this summer. Uh, with Laurie, it's actually talking about a guy who can be your number three, your number four option many years down the line. I just find myself being... Uh, a little bit scared of the prospect of overpaying Dario Saric due to the free agent market this summer and the free agent market when Laurie Markkinen is a restricted free agent is uh, it's not the same you know it's more like the situation that Kelly Oubre ran into where uh, there's a lot of great players out there and you might be one of the guys that's left on a restricted deal a little later in the season depending on how you play of course uh, all of that matters but I just find that to be a more appealing situation potentially uh, for the Phoenix Suns. So we'll keep an eye on that. I think it's interesting. And uh, I will say, just since you brought him up again, uh, I watched a few OKC games in the last few weeks. 
And dear Lord, would the Suns offense be incredible with Danilo Gallinari in that power forward spot. There's so many things he does good offensively. He does well. Uh, he hits shots. He's able to to get guys on the dribble. He can pull up from mid-range if he has to. He can pass. Uh, you know, he can run pick and rolls at his size. Um, that would be fantastic if if that Denny the Gallinari trade can be pulled off. Do you want do you want me to be honest with you? Sure. I already did it in my 2K My League. <laughs> and? I had to send I had to send Dario packing and brought in Gallinari instead. <laughs> <laughs> How'd it go? It's going great so far. Yeah. It's going great so far. It's not as good as the guy I originally wanted, who I'm about to talk about, because I I blush and, and gush about him every time I talk about him. Jonathan Isaac of the Orlando Magic, <laughs> who it makes me sadder and sadder every day that we couldn't get him in the Josh Jackson draft, but oh well. Yeah, let's okay, let's talk about we have a few so the Suns are on a road trip, by the way. This is the first game of a road trip. The next three games are Orlando, New Orleans, and Houston. Uh so the first game, Orlando, you've you've seen it seems like you've watched quite a bit of Orlando. Uh so far they're they're eight and eleven right now. How do you feel about the magic? They're a freak show in the best possible way. They're just an analytic, like take, I I don't know. They just take the longest, least talented offensive players and throw them all together on a roster. And the result has been uh, magnificent. Like they're still looking. So first of all, Vucevic is going to be out of this game, most likely. So that means that you take an offense that was already hurting <laughs> and now you really have basically no offensive weapons that can really create for themselves. Evan Fournier is is pretty solid. He's a, I think, a forty percent three point shooter this season. Although I'd have to double check. Um, but Aaron Gordon still hasn't quite put it together. Jonathan Isaac is my guy, um, but he's still working on on putting the finishing touches together on his offense. Let's just say, um, Markel Fultz. Actually, I think Markel Fultz deserves a lot of credit this season mm-hmm. for being good at all of the things except shooting. Yeah, like, <laughs> he's still not going to get any credit for a shot outside of ten feet. Um, but his free throw is improving slowly. Um, his finishing game is pretty good now. His assist to turnover ratio is pretty good, and he's pretty good at finding guys in select spots. Um, this is still a very bad offensive team, um, and so the Suns could potentially not have Aaron Baines in this game, uh, and their defense might not even be that terrible. On the other hand, the Magic are a top 10 team defensively, and that's where this team is really going to kill you. Dario Saric and Frank Kaminsky right now are not finishing um, at a good rate for a power forward or a center. They're not even finishing. I mean, to, to put it lightly, yeah. they're not even finishing like, like, uh, like they were. The numbers aren't season. as bad as the eye test for them, for the record, but it's you still think, not good. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not good. And Jonathan Isaac, uh, is averaging like a steal and a half and close to three blocks a game. So Dario Sarge going up against that. I don't think he stands really a chance in yeah. in that sort of matchup like right. Jonathan Isaac really should be in an all defensive team this year the Magic are an absolutely terrible offensive team and they're still 8 and 11 um through this point now granted that's the Eastern Conference but like they, it's solely their defense that has dragged them to that record Mo Bamba is still a pretty good defensive player he gets lost sometimes but I think he's starting to make strides and it's not like a complete waste of a pick like I think he's going to be a valuable player to some level um, at the NBA, uh, at the NBA level, Aaron Gordon is still an athletic defensive player. Markel Fultz is going to play the passing lanes and get deflections. So this is a team where the Suns really have to be careful, um, and they could struggle quite a bit offensively. Yeah, Gordon is another player that you got to keep an eye on just just in case because he's struggling a little bit this year too, and maybe lost in the sea of long arms and big tall players there. And we'll see if he becomes available at any point as well. 
Uh, New Orleans is the next game. New Orleans, we just played them on uh, national TV, and it was ugly. It didn't go very well. Uh, but the Suns have a chance to make up for that uh, loss, which is one of the uh, one of the only six wins for the Pelicans. Um, you know, what do you think about the Pelicans game? I, I, I'm not overly that, that I think is a very winnable game. We've seen Devin Booker have, uh, some pretty incredible games, uh, in new Orleans for some reason. It's also, uh, the type of game where Kelly Oubre will have another great game because Kelly Oubre tends to play well against them as well as he's from new Orleans. Um, and you know, that's the type of game where I think the Suns could win it, but it's just with, With the way that the Suns are defending the three-point line lately, a team like Mm. New Orleans has to scare you because they have so many guys who shoot. Yeah, they they do these days, honestly. And it's like, for New Orleans to beat the Suns last time, it was only a three-point loss, if I'm remembering correctly. And they needed like 25 points out of J.J. Redick, 25 points out of Ingram, and 25 points out of uh, Drew to get that win. So it was kind of like a special case. I think the Suns hopefully will come prepared to defend those three better the second time around. Like I also think I'm kind of just throwing this stat out there because I didn't double check, but I'm pretty sure New Orleans shot like 45% from deep as a team in that game. Like they they were very good from the three-point line to exactly the point that you were making. So I think this is really a game where having Aaron Baines back helps a lot. If you can kind of go back to the original scheme uh, of defense, yes, you're gonna you know over rotate the nail defender and give up some threes, but I think you can bank on it potentially with this team uh, being able to work out in your favor as long as you can stop the drive of guys like Drew Holiday and uh, Brandon Ingram, whose length just like terrorized Phoenix uh, the last time these two teams played. Um, I think you can bank on their three point shot not falling, uh, and you can probably come out with the win there. The final game on this road trip is Houston, one of the best teams in the NBA. Uh, they play similarly to Dallas, who the Suns uh, just lost to, uh, just replace Luka Doncic with uh, James Harden. And it's a very similar play style, actually, just a, one guy at the top of the key controlling everything. Obviously, they have Russell Westbrook as well. He's been a bit of a non-factor. They've, they've been good still. Uh, Russell Westbrook just doesn't dominate the ball uh, like he has in previous years. It's still the James Harden show in Houston. They just killed Atlanta. Um, Harden had 60 points in like 24 minutes or something like that. Uh, you know, three quarters is all he played. Uh, and he was insane, of course. When, you know, when you hear James Harden had, um, it was 24 shots, actually. When you hear James Harden shots, had 60 yeah. points in 24 shots, you know exactly how it happened. He shot a lot of threes and he got fouled a lot and shot a lot of free throws. And that's exactly what happened. It's very difficult to defend that because he's just so, so, so good and has had some of his best games against the Phoenix Suns. This is going to be a very, very, very difficult game. And you just hope that uh, the defense is as locked in as they possibly can be. Uh, And there's been some interesting schemes that James Harden has had to play against so far this season. Generally, the double will come around a screen, right? When you watch Devin Booker get trapped, you're watching a second offensive player come up to Devin Booker to set a screen. Both defenders will trap Devin Booker at that point. You don't even need to do that against Houston because James Harden doesn't need a screen to get into the paint if he wants. So commonly, teams are now trapping James Harden without a second offensive player within 15 feet. Uh, This is something that just really has not... It's like a new era of defense and it's something that um they can still capitalize on because he's a great passer and i yeah. i just don't this I, I would predict a loss for this game let's just say that but it would be a very exciting win if the suns won 
Yeah, it would be very, very exciting. You know, I saw a stat yesterday that there have been 13 60-point games in, uh, or or no, never mind. The Of the 13 highest-scoring games, that's what it was, in 2019, uh, James Harden has 11 of them. Right. And then one goes to Devin Booker, his 59-point game, a loss against the Jazz, and then one goes to Damian Lillard. And that's it. Also a loss. Also a loss. And this is this is the sort of new type of offensive superstar that we've never seen before. He's just a completely different beast. Um, and I guess the only advice you can really give to the Suns going in, I mean, I'm not a coach. It's not much advice. But like, just no matter what you do, I would rather he take that step uh, that step back three and just don't reach like no matter what you do yeah. don't reach don't get in the bonus yeah. like protect the rim at all costs let him take the three if he's gonna kill you with 15 made threes and score 60 points whatever it's gonna be his night and there's honestly nothing you can do about it but i'd prefer that to the situation we saw with luca the other night where the suns had five fouls in the fourth quarter in what was still the potential game that they could come back in uh with nine minutes left and they were in the bonus. And with nine minutes left, Luca was able to get to the free throw line and basically coast the rest of that game and didn't have to worry about what he was doing on offense because he could just flail his arms on a drive to the rim and the Suns would be giving up points defensively because of it. Yep. So, you know, just don't let Harden get to the free throw line 25, 30 times. I know that's easier said than done, um, but I think that's the only way. How about this? Uh, Ricky Rubio defends him from behind and... <laughs> And forces him into Aaron Baines, who just falls over. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the only option. Rubio defended him from behind in the playoffs last year, so maybe it'll give him some weird PTSD. Uh, but that's all we got for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week after this road trip. We'll preview the games and we'll recap the games that just happened. It would be very nice to uh, recap a Houston win because that is as improbable as it gets in the nba because they're a very hard team to beat but sam you got anything else before we go that is all for me let's hope for uh like a two and one week you know the this magic are a worse team than the suns i think it's going to be difficult um but i don't think it's impossible to pull off two and one this week if you get aaron baines back that's right i'm gonna go drink some milk (laughs) (laughs) i know i should drink milk because it'll help me grow up big and strong Milk's got stuff that's good for my bones and stuff that's good for my muscles. And I guess that's okay, but I'm more interested in having fun. That's what makes milk so neat. You can drink a lot of it and it tastes cool. So it can be a real pick-me-up. Milk, it does the body good. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.